0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you've listened to the podcast over the last almost three years now, you know I've talked to someone from every single state, including Washington, D.C., at every level of government, from council like myself, to school board, to state representative and state auditor, to members of Congress and even uh, U.S. Senate. And so I'm very proud to have that wealth of people Um, uh, Those perspectives on the podcast. Uh, And there's some states that, frankly, I just like talking to more because, I don't know, they're kind of cool. One of those states is Michigan. I have learned over the past year or so that the Democrats in Michigan have put on some really great candidates. They have a lot of good energy, and it's one of the most important states politically, both um, how contentious it is, um, how important it is for the Electoral College, how divided it is between Democrats and Republicans, and hopefully my guest today will be able to make some sort of uh, headway in there to improve things politically and to help the the party and help the state, more importantly. His name is Noah Arbit, and we're going to talk about Michigan today. So Noah, thanks for talking on my podcast.
1: Thanks so much uh, for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Now, Noah, you recently, very recently, decided or made it public that you were going to run for office, right? Um, before we start, what, yeah. When, what made you uh, make the decision that you were going to be the one that's going to run for for state representative? <laughs>
1: what a question. Um, you know, it's very interesting. You know, I've I've worked for um, you know a lot of different campaigns and candidates. Uh, I I really got started um, right when I was in college working on Hillary's campaign um, in Michigan, in my hometown. Um, and then I worked on the governor's campaign and then I actually, uh, founded, um, the Michigan Democratic Jewish Caucus, um, which was something that didn't exist before. And that sort of, um, really became, uh, a huge, um, endeavor and just, uh, really, really blew up in terms of, um, you know, how successful it was and how, um, just uh, intense the you know the organizing efforts were and I've been very gratified to do that you know through the 2020 election, but then um, you know really continuing to see just how extreme and um, uh, detrimental uh, the policies that, that the Michigan legislature has been pursuing, um, you know really for for a decade um, has been really eye opening and realizing that these types of races often don't get the sort of credibility and credence that they deserve from from activists from from donors oftentimes um and and really trying to reshape the narrative right and i think there's a lot of great organizations and i appreciate your work on this trying to you know spotlight and highlight you know uh candidates uh you know who are running particularly down the ballot mm-hmm. um but you know run for something is is a great uh organization that does this work as well and i think it's it's really important i think 2018 showed us just that you know When we work to flip uh, state houses, um, so much good can happen. And we saw that in Virginia. And so for me, you know, looking at particularly how um, the COVID crisis was handled uh, in Michigan and how, you know, Governor Whitmer, uh, who I had the privilege of working for, um, has really been leading the way, um, or had been, um, during during the crisis. Um, And the legislature tried to stymie her every step of the way. And um, and they, they were they were the threat to the public health at that point. Um, and then when we lost this seat in my hometown, I'm from West Bloomfield Township, which is a, a town of about uh, 65,000 people. So it's a pretty large town. It's like uh-huh. the 22nd or 23rd largest in Michigan, um, and it's incredibly diverse. Um, there's a huge Jewish community. It's the largest uh, um, city of uh, for Jewish people in Michigan. Um, and a uh, large uh, black community Asian community it's just incredibly diverse and, and amazing place to grow up and uh, really feeling like wow well we need someone you know to run for this seat um, who can get the job done and, and I really felt like okay you know why not me <laughs> you know I've been I've been organizing in my community and in, in, in the two communities that make up the 39 the current 39th house district you know, for Hillary, for Governor Whitmer, you know, so I've been living and organizing in these communities, you know, basically my whole life, and uh, it really just felt like the natural next step. And, of course, you know, my faith draws me to service, um, As you know, growing up in the Jewish community here. It's just something that has been um, really, really a big part of my life um, and something that, you know, my parents instilled in me and my grandparents. so it's just all of these things sort of came together and really – I was like, "Oh, okay. I think I'm going to do this." Like the moment, the moment—it's funny. I never had thought about it. I was never one of those people who was like, "Yeah, I'm going to run for office one day." Like, I would have been totally fine, like for the rest of my life, like working behind the scenes and like organizing and being a staffer to candidates and and you know, strategy and all that. But you know, the moment we lost that race on uh, November 3rd, 2020, I was like, "Oh, I'm running for that seat."
0: So (laughs) on your profile, on your website, you talk about how it was the most uh, competitive seat in the 2020 election in Michigan. It was extremely expensive. So, you know, from your experience working for the governor for other campaign experience, that this is not something where you just say, I'm going to run for office. It'll be it'll be a blast. Like (laughs) it is uh, it's going to be. Are you prepared for the significant amount of work and the hurdles to, you know, Raise the money, raise the awareness, uh, meet the voters. You, you you know what is to be expected in terms of the work of campaigning.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was it was the number one top targeted seat by both parties in the 2020 election, um, and unfortunately, Democrats lost it. Um, but but I think with redistricting, we have a and in our new fair Michigan uh, Independent Redistricting uh, Commission, um, we have an uh, important opportunity. Um, with fair maps to take this seat back, and I think it is going to be the number one pickup for de- pickup opportunity for Democrats uh, in the twenty twenty two cycle. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, is I I have been around campaigns. I've um, you know worked for campaigns. I've you know sort of learned some of the rules of the road and the tricks of the trade. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, there's a lot that I don't know them and a lot that I have to learn and a lot, and that's that's part of the excitement for me about this is. You know, as uh, as much as I've done and experienced, I'm also a first time candidate, and so um, that's something that's not something I've done before. I've you know I've raised money, I've I've organized, I've ran you know field and geo TV programs, but I've I've never been a candidate before, and so this is it's it's a challenge and it's new and it's exciting. Um, But I am absolutely committed because you know for me the way I see this is this isn't really like just my name on the ballot. It's there's a lot of people counting on me to win Mm -hmm. this seat. Um, This isn't just this isn't just about me. It's about um, the people that I hope to serve, about the community that I hope to represent, uh, the community that I love, that I'm from, and that has been gerrymandered and, and, and ripped up for two decades um, because Republicans wanted to have, you know, they wanted to split up the vote. Um, and, and particularly, it's, it's actually interesting, too, because, you know, we talk often about um, racial gerrymandering and how um, that's often um, uh, a motivator. Uh, for Republicans to rip up minority communities, and that's why we have the VRA. And this this is a really interesting instance in this specific district of tearing up um, a community that is 25 percent Jewish, splitting up the Jewish vote, um, which is overwhelmingly Democratic, and uh, hiving off uh, the community from each other. Um, and, and so you have the case of, a, of of diluting that community's vote, which is which is almost unprecedented. I don't I don't know that there's any other example across the country of of the, of the Jewish community being split in that way. So. You know, for me, it is about, you know, I mean, it's about the party, too, frankly. You know, I, I believe in the agenda that, uh, that Governor Gretchen Whitmer has proposed. I believe in, in the policies that um, I believe are going to make a better Michigan. Like, you know, we have to start investing in Michigan again. You know, for decades, politicians in Lansing, uh, in our state capital, haven't invested. We are, you know, in some of the lowest ranking for schools, um, and we have the best teachers here. Mm-hmm. And we don't support them, um, you know. We have <laughs> Michigan is infamous for its horrible roads. You know, our governor ran on fixing the damn roads, and it's time we it's time we do that. And she's working on it. But the legislature has stymied her every way, and you know everything that we've heard from this week um, from the the law uh, the law in Texas that the Supreme Court uh, did not stay. Um, uh, you know, legislatures are are the front lines of affecting people's lives across the country, and so. Um, I'm I'm ready to work, I'm ready to work. You know, my heart out to make sure that we flip this seat. And you know, I know that that's going to come with a lot of personal sacrifice and you know, a lot of you know, uh, things that I won't be able to do. But but at the end of the day, um, all of that is is going to be worth it because you know I'm going to be able to make a difference and, and be able to represent this community that really is is so near and dear to me. And that is. Um, a blessing that I don't—I don't know that I can even comprehend at this moment. So it's—it's it's very exciting, and and yes, it's going to be a lot of work. Um, and you know, this isn't just you know a safe seat. This is going to be really um, an important uh, top-tier battleground district in 2022. So I'm ready for that.
0: So you—you um, you brought up your upbringing, your faith, and your community. Uh, I don't. One thing I always ask my guests is. Do you remember, like, when or how you became politically aware? Is it something that in your family politics was always discussed? Is it like you talked about working for Hillary Clinton? Was it the, like the presidential sure. campaign, or are there, like, so is that your life, or something that inspired you to pay attention to politics?
1: Well, it's really funny because um, I I grew up in a home that wasn't very political, mm-hmm. although to, to the degree that it was political, um, I have I have. A, a very conservative family, Mm. not very conservative, but my family is mostly conservative. Um, and, uh, it's funny because, you know, in the Jewish community, that's, uh, not something that is, um, super common. I mean, it's not uncommon, but, um, you know, uh, about, I think 70% of Jews in America are Democrats or lean Democrat. Um, but I, uh, you know, so my, my family wasn't very political, but, you know, I grew up to be the chair of the Jewish Democrats, so go figure. But, um, you know, I, um, I really, I was always very interested in current events and it really only crystallized to me that what that was in like college was, oh, that's, that's politics. This is politics. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, so I think I was always really interested in like the world and, and, and and, like international politics. And, and, and then when the 2016 election happened, which that was the first election that I could vote in, um, presidential, um, which was very interesting because, you know, I was one of the, you know, among the people, the first candidate I ever voted for for president was a woman, which is um, I think about that pretty often because I think that is a, a rarity, um, but and, and notable. Um, but yeah, I think so. Hillary's campaign was definitely my first interaction with like formalized politics in this country. It was my certainly my first. Interaction with with the Democratic Party, and you know, you know, growing up with you know, certainly in a conservative family, like I, I definitely felt like I was always pushing back on on certain things, and um, it's it's certainly been a really interesting journey, a personal journey for me, um, and and a political one, of course, um, to sort of come to my own and come to believe, you know, okay, well, this is what I believe on these things, and and maybe how does that differ, um, you know, from you know from what I was exposed to, and and how do I sort of assimilate everything and, and new things that I'm learning. Right. Um, and so definitely Hillary's campaign and, and when Trump won, you know, it really was a moment for me. Well, first of all, it was devastating of course, mm-hmm. but it was a moment for me that, um, I realized, okay, it's really time, you know, to, to turn direction, you know, cause I was really interested in international politics and sort of, okay, we have a lot we have to work on here at home. And, um, and ever since then, I've really been focused here on Michigan, and uh, and, and specifically in Oakland County, um, where I live, which is, has historically been a battleground uh, county, um, and uh, is really as part of that suburban purple sort of, you know, really uh, turned from in the 20, 2018 elections. Really was like sort of the front line of of winning our house majority, our house majority um, in in Congress. Um, as well as flipping several uh, seats in the state legislature in both the House and the Senate.
0: So you know that the obviously about the the division in Michigan um, that, you know, with, the, with Governor Whitmer and hopefully she wins re-election and you want to, you know, win a majority. Yeah, you are. I don't know what the odds are of a majority or what would happen there. But let's especially I don't think, you know, because you don't know the new district lines yet.
1: That's right. That's uh, right.
0: So with that in mind, for a new candidate like you, someone with a different perspective than someone with like 30 years experience in politics, as you run for office, what are the kinds of things that you hope to accomplish if you were to win?
1: It's a great question. Um, You know, there's a lot, um, there's a lot of, frankly, low hanging fruit that the legislature hasn't taken care of for a long time, you know, that includes, um, you know, sort of uh, bread and butter issues on school funding, um, you know, making sure, you know, after this week, I mean, I think it's something that everyone's thinking about. You know, Michigan is one of those states that is a, that has a snapback law um, for abortion. If Roe versus Wade is overturned, um, abortion is immediately um, uh, outlawed in Michigan because we have not repealed our law um, against abortion um, in Michigan. So it's still on the books. We need to repeal that and we need to pass Um, uh, uh, reproductive rights bill of uh, bill of rights um, in Michigan because I think that's really essential. You know, this is a moral issue. This is about um, you know women's bodily autonomy. Um, It's also about our societies. You know, family planning is essential um, to building strong families and making sure that you know parents have the right to choose the time and place to expand their families um, and to make sure that their kids are growing up in stable, nurturing homes. You know, that's really what we want. We want to build societies that um, kids are able to have, you know, I mean, I always say this is why I'm a Democrat, because, you know, Democrats believe that our own interests are served when the greatest number of our fellow Michiganders, Americans, have access to the rights and liberties that enable them to go as far as their talents and ambitions will take them. That's really what it's about in a nutshell. Um, and, and to this, to the, unfortunately, you know, for several decades in Michigan, that's not the policies that we've been seeing by and large, from our state legislature, um, and you know, it's it's really a shame to have uh, you know a governor as talented and strategic and you know skillful at you know building coalitions and and passing legislation, um, not be able to use those talents because she's just constantly butting heads with a legislature that, um, you know, their sole priority is to, um, you know, uh, to make her lose reelection, frankly, and to mm-hmm. sign me every every step of the way. So that that is, um, you know. I, I've really been uh, I think one one something that really is is personal to me I think to a lot of members of, of my community here in West Bloomfield and Commerce Township which makes up part of the current uh, 39th district um, in Michigan um, is, is the matter of hate crimes um, and I know that we've you know uh, this is not just for for the Jewish community which I'm a part of but you know for the black community the Asian community Muslim Americans we also have a, a large um, Iraqi Christian Chaldean population mm-hmm. Um here in, in our district. Um, I think this is an issue. And of course, LGBT Americans, I'm also gay. So that's, you know, this is something that's really, really important to me. And in Michigan, we have an ethnic intimidation statute. It's not even called hate crime statute um, that doesn't even mention ethnicity. So this is a law, frankly, that, um, is, is incredibly, um, antiquated and, uh, ill suited to the times that we're into the rise in hate crimes that we have seen over the past, you know, frankly, four or so years. Um, And it's really important to me. This is like, you know, definitely, you know, you ask me what I want to do in the legislature. This is one of my key goals, you know, long term is I want to figure out how on day one, you know, I'm going to bring stakeholders together from, you know, the ADL to the Muslim community to um, the NAACP to figure out how can we rewrite this law, strengthen uh, protections, strengthen reporting regimes um, in terms of hate crimes, um, and make sure that we're actually, that this law is actually, you know, inclusive, Um, in terms of, uh, you know, the types of, uh, categories of, of bias crimes that it does, uh, you know, uh, prohibit, um, and criminalize. Um, and how can we make it a law that's actually going to disincentivize this type of crime and, um, protect our communities? Um, because right now it fails, Mm -hmm. it just utterly fails to do that. And I know that because, um, you know, I'm actually, I work in the Oakland County Prosecutor's Office. I'm not a lawyer, but, um, I'm the director of communications for our new, uh, prosecutor. Um, and this is the second largest uh, prosecutor's office in Michigan, the second largest county as well. Um, and I've, I've seen, and of course, you know, our office has been certainly out in front in prosecuting hate crimes, but I've seen the sort of calculations that prosecutors have to make because it is, first of all, the penalties are so low in this law um, for a hate crime. It's only two additional years. Um, and it's also incredibly difficult to prove that a crime was committed because of a certain bias, um, and so when you pair those two things together, it's almost a waste of prosecutorial resources to try to prosecute under this law because it's so hard to prove and the penalties are so weak, might as well not even inject that into the conversation. So I want to figure out how can we have a conversation um, and, and bring people together. And additionally, you know, there's something to be said about the fact that we see politically motivated bias. And does that need to be included in the conversation of, about hate crimes, about, you know, politically motivated um, targeted attacks, right? So I think we have to really, you know, and, and I'm not I'm not out here with any specific uh, prescription for, for fixing this. Um, I, I'd like to see the data. I'd like to have conversations with stakeholders. Um, but that's something that I know that I'm going to show leadership on because that's something I think, and I know that my community cares about, my district cares about, something I really care about. So that's a big thing. Um, you know, I think mental health, we need to, you know, in, in Michigan, we don't have um, a single um, child psychiatrist above, uh, north of Flint. Um, and so we need to really figure out how um, we can incentivize quality, affordable um, mental health providers to come to Michigan, to get educated in Michigan and to stay in Michigan um, because we have a desperate need um, for mental health services and especially in communities um, that are lower income, that, um, you know, are, certainly don't have as much access to these services traditionally um, as as some some other communities have, so we need to figure out how to balance those scales, how to make sure um, you know that access is expanded. Um, so that's something I'm really you know I'm also really uh, you know just tied a bow on this. I'm really concerned about the devastating impacts of climate change on on Michigan, on on our country, um, and I th- think we've seen you know how you know this public health crisis with with the pandemic has really dovetailed with. You know, an environmental crisis. We've had historic flooding in Michigan and historic heat waves in Michigan this year. And uh, it, it has, you know, triggered um, catastrophic impacts for our, for our electrical grid. You know, there's so much that we need to do to build a more resilient state. And that that goes from our infrastructure to our society. Um, it, it really, that, that key about building resilience, um, I think, really dovetails with everything. It's uh, it's not just limited limited to one policy issue. It's, it's. I think, the the lens that we need to be looking at, and, and not just in Michigan, but frankly, I think all states need to be looking at, and the country as a whole, how do we, you know, account for resilience in every policy that we are crafting, in every, uh, you know, dollar that we are appropriating, you know, every project that we are looking at.
0: Yeah, and, and we've seen that here in my town, in Bridgeport, PA, this week with, you know, we've had flooding before, including last year, but we've never had, um, hurricane flooding like we had this week. Uh, sadly, we had one yeah. loss of life, um, oh streets, uh, f- completely flooded and then the water has receded, but the damage is, you know, devastating. We've raised thousands of dollars for people, um, to help repair. If you're interested in, um, Looking for that, and just as a shout out to anyone listening, if there's an Upper Marion community cupboard so people can donate to you to help those people, but people are being affected by climate change now, it's not something 10 years in the future. And I think that younger candidates like yourself probably have a different perspective on the long term impacts of it than people whose political careers may be more behind them than in front of them. Do you think Do you find that perspective to be true from? From your experience in terms of talking with younger voters and and um, making climate a priority,
1: well, I definitely think that this is something that young people are very exercised about. I think that's it's, it's certainly top of mind. Um, and I think there are so many great um, leaders in Michigan who are out on front on this. And I think I think the concern is that um, you know uh, you know this is something Democrats are are, are certainly out on front on, but I think the concern is is that Republicans are not. Um, and, and so when you talk to even like young Republicans, they are concerned about climate change and they are concerned about, you know, how we can, uh, you know, fight it and, and start, you know, really adapting our practices as a society, um, to, to prevent it, you know, from getting worse than it already is. Um, you know, cause there are some scientists that really say, you know, um, you know, we can't stop this train. We have to just sort of see if we can shift it a little bit. Right. Um, and so I definitely think that this is something, you know, as a, as a young candidate, you know, that I certainly bring to the table. But um, there are a lot of great leaders in Michigan who are out in front on this. And it's just about getting that critical mass of people who are um, concerned about this issue. And frankly, it's going to take us winning back Republican seats.
0: And, you know, I think people often look they look at Texas. You brought this up. And they look at some other states, particularly in the South, and think that's where Republicans are bad, and that's where conservatives are doing putting in harmful social um, policies that are hurting people of uh, very different backgrounds. But I mean, per- perhaps no state had a more egregious example of you know, the frightening turn to the Republican Party than Michigan. You had, right. the, you know, well, it wasn't the legislature itself. You know, you had a group that tried to kidnap the governor, which no other right. state had to deal with. You had that extremism with the with COVID. The people who were going to talk with, the, with uh, Donald Trump about overturning the election results. Um, do you think that people, and young people especially, may not fully grasp, that very dangerous turn that one of our two major parties is taking.
1: Well, I think I just want to make a quick correction there. You said it wasn't members of the legislature, but we actually had our Senate Majority Leader, um, Mike Shirkey, um, uh, meeting with several of these militia groups. Um, I, I don't know the degree to which uh, you know, the specific ones were um, involved in the plot um, uh, against Governor Whitmer. Um, but he, he met with several of these militia groups to give them messaging advice and to figure out um, you know to meet with them about their goals and and to figure out how he could how he could help them. But he actually did give a speech on stage. Um, he was on stage with one of the men who was um, actually charged um, with uh, um, with the the plot to uh, kidnap Governor Rimmer. So yeah, you, the extremism starts from the top.
0: No, can you? I, I'm sorry. I just, Party. can you imagine? Like I I feel like it's really. Um, Underplayed not by you, but like, can you imagine if Governor Whitmer in your state or Joe Biden or you more like Tom Wolf in my state, though he's not going to be that kind of like, had spent any time with somebody who said who then t- and tried to commit a coup? Like, um, you know, you have people love to talk, and um, you have Rashida Tlaib in, in Michigan, right? Like, not mm-hmm. saying. I don't want you to talk about her politics or anything like that, but obviously people point to her as a quote-unquote very, very far left. That's what people like Mm – can you imagine the impact if she met with someone and then that person tried to kidnap a Republican governor? Like people would legitimately – Democrats would all be calling for her to be expelled from public service.
1: That's correct. That's correct. That's right. And, and frankly, Mike Scherke should have resigned, and he should have been expelled from the Michigan Senate, but of course, he runs the majority, so that's that's never going to happen. Um, and, and it just goes to show you that, you know, when Democrats don't invest in state legislative races, when we don't pay attention to them, you know, they're not as big, they're not as sexy, they're not as fun, they're not as interesting, um, uh, you know, we lose power. And and I think that's the thing that Democrats have to do a little bit more, is, is focus, and 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 you know, there are a lot of great examples, of Stacey Abrams says this really well, um, we have to focus on building power and, and not about um, – and, and candidates are important, right? Of course, they are. But we have to focus less on personality and more about um, the seats that we need to win in order to exercise the power and, frankly, to prevent um, you know, extremists from taking the power that we could otherwise exercise on behalf of the American people, on behalf of you know the people of our individual states and communities, right? That is that is what we are fighting for. We're not fighting for power for power's sake. We're fighting for power in order to better the lives of the people that we care about, which is everyone who lives in our uh, districts and our states and our country.
0: Yeah, so I think we established, one, you know, why this race, why getting involved is so important, especially getting involved early. Um, though I do want to bring back to that, like a lot of people are looking at 2022 and it just seems like i don't want to talk about politics we just had a presidential election um you know why can't we just focus on some other stuff or like i want to get through my day and watch the next marvel movie or whatever um why is it important that people who care about politics get involved in these elections now instead of waiting until october of 2022 or 2024
1: Absolutely. Um, look, our democracy is on the line in 2022 and in 2024 and 2022 is just the precursor to 2024. And I think, I think we know this, right. Um, we have seen the Republican party's willingness, um, to, to frankly flout democratic norms, to, um, you know, undermine the spirit of the constitution, um, to gin up false claims of fraudulent elections when they don't win. Um, and I think, that is something that we have not fully grappled with as a country, um, and in our states as well. Um, and so, if if we care at all about maintaining a functional democracy, where the person who wins the most votes um, is the person that who is is elected, you know, at all of our different offices, and we can talk about you know the electoral college at another time. Um, you know, we have to invest in all of these races. We have to put boots to the ground. You know, we don't have the luxury. Of, of sitting out of this process and allowing it to pass us by, because it will pass us by, and others who are not committed, who do not share the same commitment that we do to um, the democratic process, to democracy, to our Constitution, will be engaged in this process. And I think we're seeing, you know, it, from, in Texas, we're seeing, you know, what that looks like when, um, you know, for, frankly, you know, one party is, you know, unbound, to do all of the things that it wishes to do in the, you know, the minority party doesn't have any sort of check um, to sort of constrain them. Um, we're seeing hints of, of what it would be like when the democratic process is becomes unmoored. Cause you know, the Republican party, frankly, has become unmoored from reality and um, it's time for all of us, you know, all of us, even people who, you know, historically are not really too interested in politics um, who don't give it that much credence? This is about our way of life as Americans. It's not about Democrat or Republican. It's about the fact that we have a thriving economy because we are a democracy. And of course, there's a, you know a, a, you know so many things that we need to do to make our economy more inclusive and work for more of us. Um, but if we lose that fundamental bedrock principle that we are a democracy and that and that the person. Uh, And the party that wins the most votes and that the people's will is frankly, uh, you know, represented um, through the expression of of who is elected. Um, I don't know. I don't know where we go from there. And um, so that's why it matters for, you know, as Democrats being the only the only party that is institutionally committed to democracy. And that's, you know, one of the things that Michigan, the Michigan Republican Party is now supporting a ballot proposal to, you know, significantly curtail um, election, um, uh, or you know, voter voting voting rights um, in Michigan, and uh, they are doing this process in a way. Michigan has a very in- interesting quirk in its law that allows um, groups to uh, get ballot pet- uh, signatures on a ba- on a ballot proposal, um, and then not send it if it gets enough petition signatures. It can go to the legislature, and the legislature can just pass it without uh, having to go through the governor signing it into law because it's already gotten petition signatures. And so they're making an end run around our Democratic governor to try to suppress the vote and overturn the ballot proposal that we passed in 2018 to actually expand and strengthen um, voter protection me- measures um, and, and expand access to the ballot. So, you know, I, I one of the things that I've been saying is like, <laughs> as a legislator, you know, if I'm elected, um, I will never vote to overturn the votes of Michiganders, my fellow Michiganders, regardless of whether my chosen candidate wins or not, because that is my commitment to democracy. And, and frankly, I think it's ridiculous that I have to say it. And it is preposterous that there are legislators, both on the state and federal levels across the country, who do not share that same commitment. It is a very low bar, and so many of our elected officials fail to clear it. Um, and that is incredibly scary. We have not reckoned with it. Um, and so frankly, the best way that we can is to elect better people, people who will put the interests of their communities above their personal and political interests. That's something I'm committed to doing, and uh, I know that there are so many people, especially, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to be, you know, a young candidate running um, in the 39th District, running to represent West Bloomfield and Commerce in, in uh, suburban Oakland County, Michigan, because, you know, it's it's exciting to see so many people who, are, who haven't lost hope, who haven't given up, who are saying no? This is our democracy. We're going to fight for it, and we're going to be part of healing it. This is the process that you know I'm committed to. That I want to be part of. Um, and there are so many amazing other uh, other people who are who are doing this. And I uh, and I, you know, certainly stand on their shoulders. And it's uh, it's really just an exciting time.
0: Well, great. And and lastly, Noah, um, you know, people are listening, and the the podcast is called. You should run. You've had experience working on campaigns and now running yourself so far uh, recently announcing, why would you encourage other people, um, whether they're in Michigan or elsewhere, um, that they should run for office as well?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it is, it is absolutely a challenge. It is absolutely something, you know, not to, uh, not to take lightly, but we need, especially young people, we need, especially, you know, people from, you know, diverse communities, people from, you know, underrepresented communities, people of color, we need, um, People who look like America, who who are America, too, to stand up and, and put their names forward and say, No, I'm gonna represent my community. I'm not better than anyone, but I represent my community because I'm from my community. I care about my community. And you know, running for office isn't putting yourself above anyone. It's it's being able to listen and 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 hear from members of your community and say, Yeah, that's something that we need to talk about more. I'm gonna use my voice to do that. This is a this is a platform that enables people um, to really do a lot of good um, and in it's in its service right and um, I know that you know uh, I was born in 1995 I'm gonna be 26 you know later this month um, and I know that so many of my fellow young people you know share this commitment to you know the system hasn't really worked for us for so long you know we you know uh, Millennials have like the lowest, you know, proportion of, of the wealth compared to, you know, our parents Mm -hmm. when they were at the same age as we were. And, you know, frankly, we, we all have to, you know, if, if we want the system to work for us and not just for our parents and grandparents, right. And, and frankly, for, you know, Gen Z and the, you know, the generations that come after us, it's time for us to take a seat at the table. So, you know, this is, this is an absolutely extraordinary opportunity. Um, And uh, it's never been a better time to be a young person in politics. There are so many people who are craving new voices um, and I would say to anyone who's listening to this, please, we need you. We need you. You can win. You can run. You can do it.
0: And it sounds like, as opposed to some places in this uh, crazy political atmosphere, if you're in Michigan, you want to run for state representative or you want to run for county office, like uh, Jason Morgan in Washtenaw County, who's now running for state rep as yeah. well. And I'm very, That's right. he That's was a right. guest of mine before, and I really like him. Um, yeah, he's that, great. You have a lot of people who will support you. A great party system and governor and, and legislators. You don't have to do it alone. Um, so I hope people will listen to Noah and uh, you know find out more about him. Follow Noah on Twitter. It's not hard to do. Noah, what's the best way people can follow you?
1: Sure, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Noah Arbit A R B I T. You can go to Noah4Mi com um, on Facebook. It's also uh, Noah Arbit. Um, and uh, look forward to connecting with you.
0: Great. Uh, thank you so much. And I think if you're listening, whether you're in Michigan or you're in Hawaii or in Florida or Maine or Alaska or wherever, you should consider running for office too. Um, best of luck to you, Noah. I can't wait to thank find you. out um, news about your campaign.
1: Thanks. I appreciate it. It's been great.